Hello and welcome to Bill's Thursday afternoon Bible study. Uh, welcome to our study through the Daily Bible edited by F. Lickard Smith. We're looking at scripture passages in that Daily Bible reading study. Uh, as you read through the, the Bible this year in 2022, we're reading along with you on uh, and focusing on Tuesdays and Thursdays on that current week's reading. And so we're a little ahead or we're a little behind, but we're right around pretty much on schedule each week. And I hope that you are keeping up and I hope that this is helping you keep up and being able to focus on a few of the topics and people that we've read about during this week and that we're reading about during this week. And today's reading is, uh, this week's reading is very challenging. When you read through this history, this part after King uh, David and uh, King Solomon, uh, his son, and then his grandson, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, comes in and messes everything up as we saw last time. And, and we uh, are now hearing and reading about the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel that Jeroboam became king of, and then um, the southern kingdom of Judah, still faithful to the line of King David and to King Rehoboam, at least uh, for a while. And then, as we have seen, we see a, a, a lot of, um, of, of unfaithfulness in the part of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, Jeroboam is just, um, uh, he's just a mess. And as you read through about the uh, divided kingdom, you read about Jeroboam and, his, um, and his, how his dynasty doesn't last very long because of his own sin and uh, the sin of his son and then uh, the other dynasties that come and take place in the northern kingdom of Israel just uh, do not last and ultimately Israel is carried into captivity but the southern kingdom of Judah has its share of good kings such as later on down the line King Hezekiah and King Josiah we read about uh, some good things in some of the kings such as King Asa who seemed to do uh, very good and was uh, a blessing uh, for a while and then went south again. We read about King Jehoshaphat who had much good in him also and that was uh, he was a blessing uh, to the people and these were imperfect men who uh, ultimately uh, displayed their humanity but at times also were very very faithful to God trusting in the Lord looking to God calling out to God for help when they were threatened by their enemies unlike some of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, who reached out to uh, other nations. Of course, some of those in Judah had the same problem and ultimately uh, God is um, uh, takes the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity as well to the Babylonians and um, uh, it is something that is unable to be, uh, be uh, saved. Uh, King Solomon's temple is destroyed, the walls are breached, all of that happens. But that's a ways down the line, uh, a ways down the line. We're still uh, probably um, uh, less than a hundred years, well, a couple of hundred years away from um, the uh, northern kingdom of Israel being taken and a little bit longer than that, of course, for the southern kingdom of Judah. But for now, today... I want us to focus really on 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19 because we're going to be looking at uh, one of the first of the prophets. These early prophets uh, we find uh, in, in the people, of the person of Elijah that we'll read about today, Elisha, who will replace Elijah. 
Uh, Obadiah comes along and prophesies to Edom, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau uh, in the land of Edom. And we also will be reading soon about the prophet Joel. Joel is the one that, that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, talking about how this was the fulfillment of what Joel had prophesied so many centuries before. Uh, so lots of incredible things going on and including these stories that we've read over these last few days about Elijah. Elijah is a very powerful prophet. We read about him some in the New Testament as well. Has a great reputation. A man of prayer. Uh, James as he talks about prayer uh, remembers Elijah and talks about what happened uh, with Elijah, how he was a faithful man and was a man of prayer. And so we read about him starting in 1 Kings 17. Uh, we read about Elijah and uh, God calls him to be a prophet uh, during the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. That's his uh, primary uh, enemies. And we see that uh, right off the bat in these chapters. And in chapter 17, uh, God tells Elijah to tell King Ahab, hey, there's going to be a drought. Uh, you might as well get ready for it because it's not going to rain <clears throat> until I say it's going to rain. <laughs> Elijah didn't have any problems, I think, uh, being one who would confront evil. He's a lot like John the Baptist in that regard. And so uh, he, he tells King Ahab, hey, we're not going to have any rain until I say so. And of course, uh, that is not something that sits very well with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They were very evil people. Jezebel, not a Jew. She was, I think, a Sidonian or something like that. And, uh, um, and, and uh, Ahab was uh, not a faithful man uh, at all. He had a few moments that were good, as you have read, but not very many, not very many. Uh, and so in chapter 17, Elijah tells him, hey, get ready for a long drought. And sure enough, that's what happens. Now, how is Elijah going to stay alive? Well, God provides ravens uh, to feed him. And ultimately, he provides a woman, a widow from Zarephath, which is a small Phoenician town uh, between Tyre and Sidon. And so you're looking at a little bit uh, west of uh, Palestine, uh, between Palestine and uh, the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And, um, uh, and, and this woman uh, confronts uh, Elijah. Elijah talks to her and says, I want you to make me some bread. And she says, well, I'd love to, but I don't have any of the supplies. In fact, I was just about ready to go make some for my son and me as kind of a last supper. <laughs> this is the last meal that, that we'll have because we'll be out. And Elijah says, well, I tell you what, you go ahead and take, make, bake something for me and, uh, and, and the Lord will provide. And so she does. And sure enough, the uh, jar of, uh, of flour and the jug of oil that she uses to bake her bread never runs out. And, uh, and she is able to, to be a host for uh, Elijah. It's a great, great story. And then uh, we continue on and, it, and the story gets even, even bigger because her son dies. And she goes to Elijah and she confronts him and she says, why would you do this to me? Why, why, would, why would you take my son when I have tried everything I could do to, to provide for you? And so Elijah in the power of the Lord, power of the Holy Spirit, uh, is able to raise her son uh, from the dead. Later on, Jesus would speak about this woman, and we'll share maybe a little bit about that 
uh, along with Elisha uh, on Thursday. And so that brings us to 1 Kings chapter 18. And 1 Kings 18 is a really, 18 and 19 are just two chapters that are incredible uh, together. Uh, we read about Ahab and, uh, and Jezebel. And Elijah is hiding from King Ahab. And God tells him, hey, I want you to go back and, and tell him. I want you to go talk to him. And so Elijah gets Obadiah, this other prophet, and he says, I want you to go tell Ahab that I'm, I'm going to meet him after all. And Obadiah says, hey, what, what have you got against your old buddy, old pal Obadiah here? Why would you do this to me? Because he knows that Elijah has been on the run from Ahab because Ahab wants to kill him. And anybody who gives false information and builds up King Ahab's uh, uh, hopes of finding him gives uh, tells him he's there when he's not going to be there uh, they, are, they are put to death so Obadiah says I, I don't want this job I don't want this job and Elijah says no 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 you go I am definitely going to meet uh, King Ahab and so he does and it's just really interesting how this all plays out and it leads into this incredible battle on Mount Carmel between uh, Elijah as a prophet of God and the Lord God and also the prophets of Baal and the other gods of the Canaanites. So it's, uh, uh, it's a really incredible thing and it's a great story. And so I'm going to be doing some reading in 1 Kings chapter 18 uh, starting at verse 16. <clears throat> so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> there, are some, there are some great lines. I hope you caught them in, in this reading. Uh, just And we'll mention a couple of them, but just some great lines. This is one of them. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Uh, King Ahab, the bad guy to the prophet Elijah, the good guy. And Elijah, of course, right back at him. Verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals and, uh, and, and now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. The queen, of course, was very much uh, into idolatry and into uh, worshiping all these false gods of the land. Verse 20, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Reminds us a lot of Joshua. Remember Joshua before his death? He challenged the people in Joshua 24. Hey, you choose today who you will serve, either the gods of the land, uh, the gods of Egypt that God delivered us from, or the one true and living God. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua had said in Joshua 24, Elijah does something very similar, except Elijah is going to make a very, uh, the battle uh, a whole lot more graphic. In verse 22 of 1 Kings 18, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Not quite true, but we'll come back to that. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Always lets them go first. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. 
Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the name that God gave for himself to Moses at the burning bush. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So it's a great battle. <clears throat> the line has been drawn. You, uh, you build an altar. Uh, you put the wood on it. You bring all of your prophets. You call on your God, and, and I'll do the same. I'll build an altar according to the uh, specs from my God. Uh, we'll put the wood on it. I'll call on my God, and whoever lights it without a match being struck, so to speak, whoever's God lights it on his own, not one of the prophets, then that is, that is the one who is really God. All the people said, what you say is good. So verse 25, this is so fun. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, so hours. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. Of course not. And they danced around the altar they had made. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. <laughs> well, now they're going to go uh, even further. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. So they had gone all day, literally, calling on Baal, calling on these false gods that aren't gods at all, that won't hear them, that can't, that can't light the, the altar um, because they're, they don't exist. And Elijah makes fun of them for a while, and then they keep on going, and finally they stop. Verse 30 of 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, and to whom the Lord had come, saying, the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, we'll get back to that trench in a moment. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So he says, Okay, I built my altar. I've got the bull on there cut up into pieces. Everything's ready to go. He's built a little trench around it. And, but before he calls on the name of the Lord, he says, Okay, fill four large, large jars of water and pour it on the altar. Pour it on the, on the wood. Then verse 34, do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So you have this picture of this altar and the bull on it and the wood there, and now soaked in water. Soaked so much so that it's running off into this trench that surrounds the altar. Verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. 
Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. The same kind of thing that God wanted when he did all of the plagues against the Egyptians at the hand of Moses, so that everyone, including the Egyptians, would know that he is God. Um, and now we see Elijah praying that God would make his name known so that everyone there would know and everyone who heard about this would know that the Lord, the God of Israel, is the one true and living God. Verse 38, what happens now? The prophets of Baal had done this all day long and nothing. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. So you get a picture of fire coming from heaven, burning everything up, the soaked wood, the soaked bull, the water all around in the trenches, everything. And you get a picture of the fire of the Lord just uh, burning up the water as it goes along. Uh, just an amazing vision. Verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. These false prophets were put to death because of their sinfulness. And the people of Israel all saw firsthand that the Lord truly is God. The God of Elijah is the one true and living God. And so then in the verses that follow, Elijah tells King Ahab, hey, remember that whole drought thing we've been talking about? Well, you might want to go ahead and start making your way home down off the mountain because it's about to rain. And it starts small and then all of a sudden it's raining like crazy and Elijah uh, is able to outrun Ahab and Jezebel even down uh, from uh, the mountain. And that gets us to, um, to chapter 19. After everything that had happened in chapter 18 to display the power of God and to uh, 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 help everyone to know that Elijah is his prophet, chapter 19 is one of the most surprising chapters you can find. Um, it begins <clears throat> this way, First uh, Kings 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Well, you know, we expect Elijah to come back and say, Hey, woman, let me tell you something. My God is the one true and living God. I'm certainly not afraid of you. I just killed all these hundreds of prophets of Baal, a false god, and now here you are uh, trying to pay me back for, for doing what the will of the Lord is. I'm not scared of you at all. God will fight for me. That's what we expect. But the one thing about Elijah is that he was a human being also. Verse 3 of First Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die, much like the prophet Jonah would do uh, at a later date. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Verse 5. 
I've preached on this story before. Some of you have likely heard that, and I like to title that sermon, uh, Even a Prophet Can Get Depressed. And I really do believe that that's what's happened with Elijah. He is worn out physically, emotionally, even spiritually. And we get that. <laughs> Those of us who are ministers or elders or church leaders of some sort today, after these last few years of pandemic and trying to keep churches together, even church leaders can get depressed and can be tired. And I think that's a great word to describe a lot of us these days. But God is still God. His people are still the church. And we are still uh, out there working for the Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, every day. And just as God works with Elijah, God works with all of us too. Maybe you're feeling tired today. Maybe you feel like, uh, like Elijah is going to say in just a few moments, I'm the only one left. Well, you're not, first of all. But God loves you and God knows that you're human and he wants to help you. And that's exactly how he responds to Elijah. Surprisingly, he doesn't bring fire from heaven to destroy Elijah for his lack of faith. But let's read about what he does. What he does is what should be done to someone who is suffering not from a clinical depression where there's a chemical imbalance and they need to go to a doctor and have some medications, but somebody who is just down and depressed and has a situational kind of low point in their lives. Um, verse 5 of 1 Kings 19, Then Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So we see God dealing with Elijah the way you should deal with someone who is suffering, who is a little bit down, who is depressed, who doesn't have a clinical depression and needs to see a doctor, but is somebody that's just at a low point in their lives. He lets him sleep. And then he wakes him up and he tells him to eat and he provides something for him to eat. And then he lets him sleep some more. And uh, once refreshed, he is able to go and, and exercise. He walks a long way. And those are food, sleep, exercise. Those are all great things for someone who is uh, suffering from a situational depression. That's how God does Elijah, but he's not through treating him yet. The rest of verse 9, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? God does that, doesn't he? Starting in the Garden of Eden. Uh, who told you that you were naked? <laughs> Where are you? God asks uh, Adam and Eve. Um, and, um, and he does that with Elijah here too. Uh, Am I my brother's keeper? He asked Cain after he had killed, or Cain asked God when God asked him, Where is your brother? Cain responds about the brother that he had killed. Here, God approaches Elijah and asks him a question, not so that God can find out, but so Elijah can find out what's really going on and realize it. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I love this response from Elijah. We've all been here, right? I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. <laughs> Ever felt like that? I know I have, and I know you have too. We feel like we're the only one left, and they're after us now. 
And all we've done is try to do the will of the Lord. That's how Elijah felt when, when Queen Jezebel threatened him. That was it. He had had all he could. His tank was empty and he was ready to give up. But God wasn't ready to give up on Elijah. So he helps him through that. He gives him rest. He gives him food. He uh, gives him water to drink. He has him exercise and walk a bit. And now God confronts him. And Elijah very, <laughs> very honestly says, I, I've done everything in the world I could. And uh, they've killed all the rest of the prophets. And now they're after me too. And I'm just ready uh, to die. Verse 11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Very special time, much like Moses experienced when God hid him in the cleft of the rock in Exodus 33 and 34. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. You know, the wind and the fire and the earthquake, none of those things scared Elijah like that gentle whisper scared him. God said, I'm about to reveal myself to you, but as typically as God does, it's not like the kind of power that we here on this earth understand. It's the kind of power that's far, far greater, far, far greater. And Elijah realized it. And so he covers up his head and his face and he goes out to meet the Lord. At the end of verse 13, again, then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I have a feeling that when Elijah replies with the very same words, that he has a whole new attitude about it. Verse 14, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus in Syria. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, or Syria. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Uh, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. God works with Elijah in such a great and masterful way. After giving him an opportunity to rest, giving him food and water, giving him some exercise, he comes to him and reveals himself to him. And then God tells him, he straightens him out. <laughs> Elijah, you're not exactly accurate in, in what you think. God has a different view of things than we do. And, uh, and he says, I want, you, I want you to accomplish a few tasks. It's another great thing when you're going through a situational depression. Make a list and, and accomplish some of those things, whatever it might be. For Elijah, it was appoint this guy king over Syria, appoint this guy king over Israel, appoint Elisha to replace you as prophet when the time comes. And um, oh, and by the way, you're not the only one, God says. There are 7,000 that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. 
There's 7,000 faithful people worshiping the one true and living God, just like you are, Elijah. And he tells us the same thing today. You are not alone. You're not alone. feels that way sometimes, but you're not. There are other people who are out there with the same struggle and the same faith, serving the same strong and mighty God that comes to us in that gentle whisper. Um, and so Elijah went on from there and does exactly all of those things that God had called him to do. We'll talk more about Elisha on Thursday. But before we go today, a little bit more about Ahab and Jezebel. In 1 Kings chapter uh, 20 and 21, we read more about Ahab and his struggle with the Syrians, the Arameans, and their king who was after uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and King Ahab and and he said, their God is just a God of the hills. He, he will we'll beat them in the valleys. And uh, scripture tells us that God says, well, because the king of Syria thought that I was just a God of the hills, uh, he's toast. He's going to go down. And sure enough, at the hand of King Ahab, uh, he does. Uh, and then in chapter 21 is this incredible story of Naboth's vineyard. Naboth, a man in the kingdom of Ahab, and he has this wonderful vineyard that's been in his family forever. And, and uh, the king of Israel wants it. He, he likes it. He says, I want you to, to, to sell me that or give me that. And Naboth says, I can't do that. It's, it's my family inheritance. I can't do that. And so then the scripture describes King Ahab as sullen and angry. It does that a couple of times. I love that term, sullen and angry. Basically, King Ahab, like a six-year-old who didn't get his way, goes back to his palace to pout. <laughs> and his wife, Queen Jezebel, sees him and says, what in the world is up with you? And he tells her and she says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're the king. I'll handle this. So she goes and she hires some men, some bad guys, and they go and they spread false rumors about uh, Naboth. And sure enough, the, the uh, people of the, of the town uh, have him stoned to death. And so now uh, uh, Jezebel goes back to King Ahab and says, Okay, you can, get the, uh, you can get the vineyard free and clear, but God has seen it. And God knows it. And God is there for those who are taken advantage of in this life like Naboth. And so Elijah offers up a prophecy to Ahab and Jezebel about how they will end up and how they will soon die. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Afterwards, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, uh, goes to war along with Ahab. Uh, and Ahab has heard from Elijah that he's going to die. And and he uh, and so he says, I'll, I'll go. We'll be allies, and we'll go to battle together. But I want you to know, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna wear my royal attire. I'm not gonna wear my crown. I'm gonna be in disguise. And so King Ahab is in disguise. But sure enough, uh, a random arrow comes and flies through the air, and gets Ahab right where he's unprotected, and gives him a deathly blow. And Ahab ultimately dies, as does. Um, uh, Queen Jezebel. Two of the most evil people ever, Ahab and Jezebel, uh, meet their untimely and violent end, just as the prophet Elijah had said they would. Uh, just incredible stories, and we have more. Elisha does more miracles than Elijah does. Even though Elijah gets all the great press, Elisha is one who does everything that, that Elijah does and more. Uh, but we remember Elijah because of that incredible a challenge that he always has with Ahab and Jezebel 
and and especially because of that battle on Mount Carmel where he very very confidently and faithfully stands for the one true and living God against those gods who are not gods at all and I hope and pray that as you go through this week that you will look and trust in and have faith in the one true and living God the God of Elijah because he is your God as well I'll see you on Thursday